shopping today and I'll go to school tomorrow. First impressions are incredibly important. Honey, you can make a wonderful first impression. Brenda, how could you? He was a jerk, okay? I've made my choice and I choose me. North South Connection podcast listeners, welcome to episode number three of 90210. So I am JT. Joining me is my now permanent co-host, Tim Capel. Tim, how are you? I am good, JT. Trucking along here, episode three now. And you might say that with the guest we have tonight, a guy we know very well, that 90210 so is the place to be. Mm, you could say that. And Tim, I feel like you're my Dylan. Like you weren't originally going to be a full-time member of the show, and then by episode two, it was obvious you needed to be here, <laughs> and now here you are. That's, so that's tough to live up to, you know. That's <laughs> that's going to be a challenge for me. Listen, but, uh, I just hope I you don't finally it. get married, and then and then or, yeah, and then your fiance, and then your new have it in <laughs> where whichever way it horribly yeah. gets kills, um, sure by her mom, his or her mom father. Uh, so. Listen, if you're new to the show, we're chronologically going through the history of Beverly Hills 90210. It's our third episode, so we're doing Season 1, Episode 3, and we'll be rotating in a third guest each and every episode, or I guess third third member in the chair. Uh, so this is, uh, of course, the person that I started podcasting with a decade, over a decade ago at this point, my co-host on the Place to Be podcast, and of course, the purveyor of many other shows and feeds and everything else out there going, Scott Criscola. Scott, how are you? Uh, JR. JT, sorry, we used to call you JR, but uh, I can still call you JR. JR, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for allowing me here on the ground floor of a show that I know you have definitely been talking about for the 10 years that we've been doing stuff, and I'm glad that it has been able to be executed. Tim, always a pleasure. Uh, I am quite pumped because I've wanted to talk about this show forever in some capacity, and I know we've done it on other feeds, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that we have a nice detailed uh, show to talk about the uh, nooks and crannies, the ins and outs, the cutoff jeans and uh, white socks and women's shoes, which is a big 90s thing in this episode of this. Sounds like another program. show you just named from the mid 90s. <laughs> um, so. Scott, what we've been doing with our guest is if you just want to take like a legit 90 seconds or so mm-hmm. just to tell us your history with with the show. Um, Beverly Hills 90210. I watched it the minute it debuted. Uh, we talked about it on a uh, another a show on another feed uh, just last week. Um, uh, I watched it the minute it started because it was different. It was kind of Fox's version of Dallas or Dynasty like they needed that cornerstone drama after having all the comedies uh in 1990 and this was perfect it was dallas and dynasty it was that big time drama for our demographic and so i jumped in uh you know into the deep end and uh i kind of faded out a little bit in the middle seasons and then came back at the end admittedly uh but I actually own all 10 seasons on DVD because the streaming is a little problematic rights wise. So I wanted to make sure I had all the episodes with all the music and everything. And uh, to me, I mean, obviously, if you go by genre, comedy, drama, to me, it's 
the best drama of the 90s. I don't say the best show because there's obviously a ton of others that can hit that category as well. But in terms of dramas. Now, have, have you go back, back and watch them all since you, you yes. dipped out in the middle? OK, so you've yep. seen them all. You're all caught up. I've seen them all. Yep. All right. And it's funny because as we've talked about, even though I'm doing the show, the early ones are kind of my um, dark spot a little bit because I, I did not watch them in the beginning. And haven't seen them as much. So mm-hmm. that's why uh, you're here and Tim's here to help fill in those uh, fill in those blanks. So. All right. So lifelong fans. Good to have you here, of course, as always. Um, so we're going to dive into season one, episode three. Every dream has its price tag aired October 18th, 1990. And uh, we have a big debut coming later that we'll talk about. And uh, also of note, I guess we'll just call it out now. Uh, there is no Tori Spelling and no Douglas Emerson in this episode. Of course, that is Donna Martin and Scott Scanlon, both missing in episode three here. So call that out of the way. Go ahead and put them at the bottom of our character <laughs> rankings for <laughs> this one, huh? Drop. Maybe Donna below Scott, just because she's still not even a character yet. Uh, Donna's been at the bottom of mine. This is yeah. start. And I find it funny, too. Start. I find it funny, too, because Donna would fit. You would think Donna, the way she is in these early episodes and even these early two seasons would fit this theme Mm, yes instead of where other people were which we'll get into but i was very surprised donna was not in this episode she very much feels like an extra with a name right now (laughs) they just took an extra but but she's just like there for for screen time and credits more than anything else Mm mm-hmm yeah i think she got a lot of crap for that early and i think uh her dad got a lot of crap for that early on as well that she got thrown in there because her name because of her last name. And I think that was the feeling the first like eight, seven or eight episodes of this season, as you guys will continue on. I think that's the case. But by the middle of season one, she ended up kind of settling in, I think. All right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when we get to like a I hesitate to say strong Donna episode, but just <laughs> one where there. Yeah. yeah, she has more presence. So we'll see. All right, well, we're that or tonight, which is fine, because uh, we got a lot going on. So what we usually do here, if you're new, we kind of just go give an outline, really, of the episode. And when I say that, it's not scene by scene. It's really just my notes of, of watching the episode, things that jumped out at me. Scott and Tim, feel free to jump in where you want. And then at the end of the episode, we'll do some a bunch of awards and kind of ranks and stuff like that. So uh, I thought the opening was, was pretty good. It's Brenda feeling relatable. She's kind of prepping a speech to her mom. She wants to get the okay to go horseback riding with her friends. She's kind of, you know, talking it out to herself. And we do find out here that the Walsh is still, uh, three episodes in, struggling to keep up financially. So that, that continues to be a trope, uh, Tim, that we've talked about uh, the first few episodes here. Yeah, and I think that's just another reminder of though they have kind of made it, so to speak, in the in the middle class sense, they've now moved from the Midwest out to Beverly Hills. They uh, they are not exactly keeping up with the Joneses, just, you know, telling us there's this contrast here between the Walshes and, well, Mm -hmm. some of the other families we're going to see, particularly in this episode. And it's important to establish that um, in the early goings of this series and particularly the storyline we're going to be presented with here. And Scott, it's not that they're poor, right? It's more that like they were probably Minneapolis rich, but they get here and they're, they're like a tear down upper mid-class more. Yeah, no, they definitely, you know, they definitely had to catch up, you know, just because Jim got the job out of the gate. Doesn't mean he's a zillionaire, as he says, (laughs) zillionaire out of the gate. Uh, And, you know, their house is nice, but you know, although obviously the house would change the inside, the outside really wouldn't, but, 
the inside changed considerably since <laughs> we get to season, I guess, season two. Um, yeah, kind of like, tracking that as we go. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of like season. It's like when Happy Days went from like season one to season where the the camera shots got wider and they kind of accentuated the fact that it was a bigger house. And mm-hmm. but it, they definitely, I think, made a point that the Walshes are very modest. They're modest people from the Midwest. They're not the Taylors. They're not the Martins. So they they're living. They're trying to live within their means, but at the moment, they haven't caught up fiscally to their to the lifestyle. So you're right. They're not keeping up with the Joneses because they can't they can't make it to the Joneses until they Jim starts really settling into the gig. So you definitely see them kind of, you know, they're the tortoise and that society is the hare. They're they're trying to catch up, but early on they're they're um, not quite there yet, you know, and they're uncomfortable about it too. Well, and this episode in particular is is going to touch on classism um much more directly than certainly right. some of the more one and done episodes yeah. of the show do um you know you get into that with the with the c plot with the walshes um you know you see i mean you literally see jim at work and mm-hmm. i mean he's working very hard and uh cindy's trying to hold it down on the home front and having struggles of her own um you know, mixed in with with the a plot, which kind of belongs to Brenda. I would I would call this a Brenda episode. Um, definitely. Yeah, sure. definitely. Unless you want to focus on Cindy's gardening, uh, <laughs> that's C-plot. in here. And <laughs> I was, did you expect her to say she was gardening to save money? Like I thought she was going to be uh, an actual like farming a little bit, making mm-hmm. you know plants, a cucumber plants, some tomato plants <laughs> out there to try and uh, help help support the family. But it looks like she's just kind of. Or maybe it's just a hobby for her. She just yeah. something she enjoys doing. But yeah, it's it's like per- presented as something she has to do because it's a hardship. So we, we also get a lot of focus continuing on Brenda's jealousy. Like she watches Kelly and another girl talking about hats and convertibles. Um, and then we <laughs> what I thought was one of the funnier moments of the episode was Cindy and the Walshes getting a cleaning lady foisted on them. Yes. Uh, as. You know, Cindy's obviously been struggling with the change. She's feeling very alone. She's out there gardening. And this cleaning lady comes up and and speaks Spanish only. So they're having a hard time connecting. And she just comes in and starts cleaning. So uh, we'll find out in a little bit why that happened. But did you, uh, Scott, think this was, <laughs> that was pretty funny when she just came up and was like, yep, yep, okay, see you inside. And just goes and starts just cleaning the house. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's a perfect example of again, what Tim was talking about that, you know, there were, there's no maids in Minneapolis unless you're, I don't know, maybe the mayor or whatever. So mm-hmm. obviously Cindy accustomed to um, doing her own thing. So, all, and the fact that she just walks up randomly, hi, I'm going to clean. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like very, very, uh, very for that moment. But uh, Cindy definitely is not getting accustomed to the fact that she needs people to do this, this environment is that she needs people to do things for her. And obviously this situation doesn't totally last long, but uh, it was definitely a, a trope for these early episodes of the Walsh's kind of trying to fit into the, to the yeah, light. And she obviously <laughs> feels like she wants to add some value. And now here's another thing being right. kind of taken from her. So she's already bored. She already feels kind of out of place. Her Forgotten. friends aren't there. Jim's yeah. bringing the money and the kids are in school. Yeah. And now here's a cleaning lady out of nowhere to even take that from her cleaning the house. So it's kind of like, all right, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? 
And it's funny. They even point out the difference between this and their former lifestyle in Minnesota. Uh, Brenda says something like, oh, we, you know, we had a maid back then. Or, or Jim says it. And uh, Cindy's like, well, that was a lot different. That was a lady who came uh, for a few hours, like once a week. And just kind of illustrating the, the difference between that and, and this, which is apparently like a, a full on a full time housekeeper who's there every right. day. There's like a cleaning lady. And then there's like mm. Alice from the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lives there, right? I mean, yeah. she all but lives there. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, she's cooking for them. She's cleaning for them, just doing everything. And Sydney is just kind of overwhelmed. You've got the language barrier too, which all of this is, is like kind of not a good look for Jim or Cindy and their communication skills. But <laughs> I don't know. This is back in the early days when the Walsh's get, actual storylines so right. we'll see if this is the beginning of of more friction perhaps between the two of them mm. we also get some early signs of brenda being into theater here so that's kind of a early tracker mm. to watch mm-hmm. him something we'll be seeing as we go uh i did i did mark out that the dj is still with us i'm curious how long he lasts young that's true. Uh, scott if you enjoy that guy but Tim and i have enjoyed him greatly over three episodes here yeah, kind of through the school day. yeah he's pretty funny yeah, I'm going to be sad when David gets his job. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, so it does stick around. Okay, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we get Brandon shows up now. He's job hunting, old school, pulling little tabs off the papers on the bulletin board. Uh, so we'll kind of continue the story. The Walsh is needing some scratch here because Brandon uh, needs needs to find a job if he wants some cash to hang with the big boys. Notice that Brandon has to get a job, but Brenda doesn't. So this is one of those. And meanwhile, Brandon is not as much at the moment into fitting into the life as Brenda is. Yet Brandon's mm-hmm. the one that wants the money and Brenda's looking to kind of. It fits very well with this episode that because it is kind of a strange dichotomy that you have Brandon who who's just like, hey, I'm here. Fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to get a I'm going to get a job. And Brenda's like, I need to be part of the no, but I'm not going to work. Well, she kind of <laughs> yeah, says well, it too, doesn't she? Like. Mm-hmm. I'm basically too busy for a job. Like, yeah. That's kind of what she says right at one point. Yeah. And she's sort of she's sort of making the point or the argument that part of this uh, lifestyle that she finds so aspirational um, certainly does not include young teenage girls working, right? <laughs> so mm. it, it's sort of like she looks at Kelly. She looks at uh, this girl, Tiffany, who's introduced in this episode. They're not holding down jobs. She wants to be like them. She just thinks that she just has a different set of expectations, I think. Correct. And um, yep. the whole deal with Brandon, it, it just comes a lot more naturally or, or effortlessly to him. But um, and the show hasn't gotten into this. We're going to see a bit of a double standard when it comes to the Walsh's and their treatment of Brandon versus Brenda over the seasons, I think. Um, uh, yes. There's yep. there's kind of not the same pressure. Um on Brenda, for example, to get the job. But when it comes to, you know, some disciplinary issues, um, I don't know. We'll get into it. And, and it kind of starts this episode, I think. Big time. That's a huge thing for me in one of our categories. Huge thing for me. So, Tim, I love, too, that one of our favorite pairings is rolling on. So we get Steve and David randomly hanging out at the store. We do. Ah! Um, I love that. I, I, I love how they all happen to be there. Like, do they all go at the same time? They didn't feel that <laughs> I way. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, certainly crazy. Brenda and Kelly and 
Right. And they're, Tiffany. Uh, for, yeah, Tiffany. But um, I don't know if David and Steve like followed them there. Or, uh, yeah, it, it is funny how they all just wind up in the same place. <laughs> one place. Fantastic. Uh, there's Steve a beach gets... in the last episode. It's a store in this one. So. And Steve gets a killer line uh, when he sees Tiffany. He goes, hey, Tiff, yes. how's the waterbed? How's the waterbed? <laughs> That's fucking amazing. That's so Steve. That's so Steve. Steve has been great with the one-liner so far, yeah. for sure. Steve, like, Steve is my – Steve has been my – when I re when I first watched it, definitely when I rewatched, Steve was like my season one MVP. Uh, while the other characters, okay. I felt like, because in my opinion, I'll say it here too, for this episode, I feel like everybody else is still trying to get their feet wet as to what they're going to be, where they are in this ensemble. But, but, Ian Zaring knew what and who Steve Sanders was. <laughs> And that was it. He gets it. Yeah, he, he got gets it immediately. He's the and, fucking. And he already showed. And he already showed some of the um, reasons for empathy too, right, Tim? Like we dove into that in a previous mm-hmm. episode where he's already got Scott to your point, like the one-liners down, kind of the the bad mm-hmm. boy stuff down, like all that. Name bad boy, preppy bad boy, right? Uh, he's kind of got that down, and then we've already seen him start to show a little bit of mommy issues yep. in that episode with Samantha. So that's already kind of played in too. So I think you're right, Scott. Like, I think he came in with that idea fully formed. Yep. And he's, he's probably the one that feels almost the closest to what he'll always be, uh, at least until he, he matures and progresses, yeah. but for, for most of the run. And that's uh, why I think, and that's why I think him and David were the best buddy cop pair mm-hmm. to start. Like David, I don't think would have, uh, he wouldn't have fit with Brandon because Brandon's is sort of a newbie as well, even though he's a year behind, they're both newbies. David's a newbie at the school. Brandon's a newbie, period. So they wouldn't have fit well. Uh, David and Dylan would have been ridiculous. Right. And but 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 not not like David and and Steve is funny ridiculous. David and Dylan would have been illogically well, yeah, ridiculous. Steve is, it's like you wouldn't yeah. expect him to be friends with his nerd, but they keep kind of getting forced to each other. Yeah. And now they're kind of you know it's, it's like a Zach and Screech setup, right? I mean that's just from yeah. Different. They it's, they complement each other. Yeah, they absolutely well. do. They absolutely so. Do. Uh, so we get more Steve Kelly conflict, which has been one of our conflicts from episode one. Uh, we find out that Kelly and Tiffany warred over Steve and Tiffany, I guess, basically, you know, knew Kelly liked him or stole him from Kelly. Uh, mm-hmm. So that there's some underlying issues between Kelly and Tiff, even though they're kind of played up as friends here. Mm-hmm. And we start to learn more about the Kelly Steve romance that happened prior to the show beginning. Yes. And uh, we, we learned that that was a source of the falling out between Kelly and Tiffany, uh, which is communicated to us, not by Donna, who, again, we said we would expect to be in this episode, but one of these random extras, one of those random Kelly friends who, I don't know, maybe she's one of those girls we saw in the pilot, um, Kathy or Michelle or whatever those <laughs> those characters were. But it's just it's just so funny how you get this this information kind of third hand from these random characters. Right. And um, yeah, like Kelly is sort of like not very forthcoming about the nature of their relationship or even like um, how they, how they had these, these conflicts in the past. Uh, she just tells Brenda, oh, Tiffany's a little bit too wild, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, it seems like she settled down. They're reconciling. It's a very teenagery thing to do. I, right, I thought right. that was pretty, like kind of true to life that th- these things sort of happen. Um, how people just come and come in and out of your life at that age. Um, and it's just kind of a very volatile time socially. Mm-hmm. I agree. I love Jim has a great line. So we cut to his office, Tim, you mentioned this earlier. He's busy at work. He goes, I got 10 K's flying. Yeah. Uh, which is, <laughs> yes. Which is a 
before we fell off of corporate uh, financial statements or whatever, but it was just... It's just like a weird insider term. Like, who the fuck didn't really know? Like, I didn't watch the show. It's probably, probably not going to know what the hell he's talking about, but it was, it was really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's all stressed out of work. And then we kind of get this twist where Brenda, who's, you know, we got the theater stuff going on. She's into Les Miserables in class. Um, and it's kind of playing out right now. Like, she's kind of become the main character. She's desperate for clothes and feels um, like, you know, maybe there's an end to the mean Means to an end. Means to an end of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I guess things really escalate here, where we see uh, Tiffany in the in the dressing room and tries on. And I had this written down for '90s fashion, a great category that yeah. that I enjoy um, looking out for. Just this floral print dress that um, I, I think every girl had in the early '90s. Um, but she steals that bad boy, stuffs it in her uh, in her bag, and it's funny because later on, uh, she and Brenda have some one-on-one time, and she's even asking Brenda, and, and they're talking directly about stealing. And uh, Tiffany is like, "Oh, I would never do that," and Brenda's like, "Me neither." So it's like she's she's both a, a thief and a compulsive liar. This Tiffany, mm-hmm. she's she's got her share of issues. Mm. And the episode like that, is, like is not that, shy about telling us. Yeah, I feel like that outfit was very blossom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of thought the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I like the – it's a good example. Tiffany, to me, is a a microcosm of the kind of people that, that Brenda – particularly Brenda and Brandon run into throughout season one. Mm-hmm. Like the prototypical Beverly Hills kid. What, 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 yeah. what, what, most, and what's funny is most of the issues involve boredom. Like I'm a bored rich kid, so I need some excitement, so I'm going to break the law. That, that and absentee seems, parents and abs- and parents that are off travailing somewhere. That mm-hmm. is such. I don't want to say it's a trope because it's it's actually a solid foundation character build for this first season, where kind of like Smallville or any superhero show where you have a villain of the week. Small nine hundred two one zero. This first season had like misunderstood kid of the week, whereas Dylan was like the poster child for that in the beginning, and then he settles in. We know his backstory, but Tiffany is like that typical. Every week we're gonna find one kid. That right. The has first episode. Yeah, the first episode. Tim was uh, what's her name? Who Marianne we Moore. Marianne Moore. Yep. I was glad you. I'm glad you brought her up because I kind of thought this was an opportunity to bring her back. Yeah. Um, like this character, Tiffany, just as easily could have been Marianne. Mm. Yeah, Marianne um, didn't have these flaws though. She was too perfect. No, but um. I don't know. It, it would have taken some tweaking mm. to that pilot um, just to maybe write her a little bit differently and to have, you know, this this friendship, this old friendship with Kelly. But it's not that much of a stretch, I felt like. She no, even, like yeah. Style wise, I feel like she kind of resembled Marianne. Oh, she did. They definitely felt similar. It wouldn't shock me if that was the intent, but they couldn't get the actress or something like, sure. I don't know, like it, it doesn't feel that far off. Um, and of course, episode two, we had the surfers and all that to Scott's point. So we're kind of running mm. into the locals mm-hmm. of the week. Mm. Um, David is full on tech geek now. So he's got the video camera, which is pretty early adopter. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, my dad got his, I think, in like, I don't know, 88, I think is when our he's <laughs> got a first fire up. So he's David's pretty early on. He's got it at school. And then I think we get one of our most hachi machi moments outside of Marianne and Brandon in the hot tub. Um, we get Tiffany basically stripping for him. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. At school, like on campus. She goes down to like her sports bra. Yeah. Uh, very hachimachi. Very. Young David Silver falls out. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not taping over that. No. Um, but yeah, she's uh, all in. Yeah. That was funny. So then we we go to that Walsh house. Cindy's working on her issues with Anna, the cleaning lady. Uh, she's trying to understand what the hell she's saying. Obviously, we get the big language barrier. She can't understand shit. But it's almost good because it's like Cindy getting to talk it out what's in her head. Yeah. Kind of working. And then we get another really funny moment where Tiffany, uh, Brenda says, oh, this is my mom, Cindy. And Tiffany goes, which one? <laughs> right. Because they're both on their knees kind of cleaning together as Cindy's talking to her. So I, I thought that was actually a really funny line. And Cindy's face is, is really good. And she just she's just greeted with the backside of both these women as she walks in with Brenda. It's <laughs> it's that is a pretty funny scene. Um, she's also like oddly rude to Cindy without meaning to be <laughs> like it right. just goes to show that that typical Beverly Hills thing she's just doesn't have a relationship with adults and doesn't like have this kind of um it doesn't feel like she has to look up to them as as elders even it's just sort of like oh you're just another you know another person and assuming she's um almost like a peer to Brenda I think is the way that right. she's talking to her mm. because she just has no other example she's just to help yeah yep um so Brandon gets his job which I, the restaurant was called Nitro right no the um, restaurant was called good uh good well, it's no. weird they call it Nitro, Nitro was the Nitro was the store I right thought. but I thought they called the restaurant Nitro too I was so confused I haven't been yeah there. No, I thought the night the the restaurant was looks good, look good. It was on that's Brandon's on shirt the at the end of the episode. Yeah, that's what it said on the menu. They that, definitely call it Nitro at some point. They yeah, they do. did. They mm-hmm. do. I think they're that may, they maybe got mixed up with. Yeah, that might have been a, that might have been a uh, script glitch or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're mixed up. I think the show's mixed up. I think up. the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll call it look good. Uh, <laughs> Just a stupid name, but he's hired there and he gets there 15 minutes early and he gets bitched out for being early, which right. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, this lady already seems super annoying. The boss. Oh yeah, totally. She also looks like she's almost wearing like lingerie. <laughs> um, it just as her kind of daytime attire, it's very, um, unprofessional looking for a, uh, as she refers to herself, restaurateur. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It, you just got a whole weird vibe from this whole, which, which is funny because during the interview she had on, and if I may, JR, this is your mm. show, this I'm referring to one of your shows. She had something like she had that brown blazer with the hat. Like she looked like Elaine, right? From mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that looked like an Elaine outfit. And then she, and then Brandon shows up for her first day and she looks like she is about to bang the shit out of him. like, it's very, yeah, it I mean, very well, strange. See, so that I was going to bring that up because I'm curious if that really feels that way or is it because we know there's a trend of Brandon with older women that right. every time he's around one, it feels that way. Like, Tim, we called this out in episode one, right, where he's with the Blaze like teacher that is like the mm-hmm. lead of the Blaze or whatever. And it felt that way. We called it out. So, like, is it is it there or are we just like kind of picking it up because we know Brandon with older women is a thing or are they doing it subtly because – it seems right. it. Well, Steve makes a point to say it when they're walk later in the in the later scene after he gets the job. Steve pretty much calls it out 
So, hmm. um, and then as we see over the coming seasons, yeah, Brandon does pretty much, it, it does seem like that's a, a thing. Like Brandon kind of settles into these. Yeah. Cougars. Um, unique. Really. Yeah. He definitely is, is, is in the wild hunting the Cougars. Definitely. All right. So then we finally get Tiffany getting busted at the store and nitro. Um, yes. <laughs> and I love the two workers. Like, I feel like this would never really happen. I feel like they'd get security to come get her, mm. but like the two random store workers come up and like, you're really in trouble now. <laughs> yeah. They just restrained them physically. Like, it felt a little like, I don't know. Maybe that was how it was in 1990, but right. I feel like these days you're not fucking with a potential thief or anything. You're just, you're telling, you don't give a shit enough, honestly. Yeah, that was a bit Tell much. security, yeah. get out of the way, right? Mm. Yeah. Pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, unless they're, unless they um, are like co-owners of this store, they're probably not getting paid awesome. enough to physically restrain them. <laughs> so, all right. So we got some trouble there. Uh, Tiffany's in trouble and Brenda's with her. Uh, then we go to this weird scene. I, I thought it was the most out of place scene. Um, we get Jim and Cindy on the couch and Jim looks so creepy. And he's just like sitting quietly in silence. Right. He might be like Rotella. It's got like laying on a couch or something. Like this is look he had on his face. It was yeah. so weird. Yeah. Um, and then Cindy kind of makes the move on him. And then Cindy says, Jim has shifty bedroom. I, like, this just felt so out of place. Like, I don't I don't mm -hmm. know why we needed this scene. Well, it was funny. The, the way they transitioned, because that's one of my one of the, my favorite quotes is when Cindy goes, Tiffany has shifty eyes. And then Jim goes, well, your parents thought I had shifty eyes. And then and then they go. The, the tone changes literally on a dime. Like they're talking about the situation with Brenda and this mysterious friend. And all of a sudden, Carol or uh, well, that's a real name. Cindy turns and goes shifty bedroom eyes and we're like wow and the way jim's lying on the couch you're like what the fuck's about it was to happen? so weird <laughs> it's, it's very right the, the tone literally shifted on a dime it was so bizarre really. and, and the staging of of this whole scene is very strange like they're in a, a room of the house that we haven't really seen before and, and it's not like a you know when i think about this show i don't think about people lounging in their den of castle walsh for as long as this goes on <laughs> like they're just sort of sitting there nothing's happening um they're having drinks it's it's like the end of the day they're just relaxing but it's just what are they doing like what <laughs> why are they just sort of you know why would they not be in bed or or in the living room watching tv or something it's just or even in the in the kitchen it, which is a much better setting um, just cinematically for this show, it, it's just so strange the way they set this this up from a, I don't know, from a just from a televisual standpoint to me. It was weird. Mm. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh... Very weird. Because then like Brandon comes in and like he he lays down on the entire couch. <laughs> it, like Jim sort of scoots him over, but then Cindy is like sitting on the floor and you're just like what is going on with this the staging like who directed this <laughs> yeah it, it was odd and he just looked weird he looked creepy uh, i didn't need to know what a shifty bedroom is um yeah yeah definitely all right so we get we're we're backstage uh here in the store in nitro uh and tiffany is talking to brenda and she's going hard on the svengali uh to her right i stole it for you because i knew you really wanted to steal but you wouldn't do it or you know yourself and brenda's like mm -hmm. fuck you you did it for you kid not me for me, not for me um oh. so tiffany's really trying to bring brenda back back around here on her and saying like look i i'm not a thief i did this for the right reason etc cetera, etc cetera. so 
they're there. Uh, we also then uh, have Jim getting a, a shipment in of a tennis windbreaker because Cindy thinks ah, it's yes. her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's all excited. She thinks she's got a gift. And Jim's like, yeah, sorry. But so did Jim order this online? Like, if it feels like he's an early adopter. Like, where did he get this thing? He called and ordered it? I think he just picked it up, like, on his way home. And it was... But it was in a box, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was just packaged kind of elaborately because... Yeah, like, why would you box your own thing? That's yeah, a thing ever. I, mean, I just got the sense he picked it up um, and they boxed it for him because it's Beverly Hills sort of deal. Yeah, they don't uh, use maybe, yeah. It's, Which, I, I mean, I'm not saying that was the thing, but maybe the show is trying to act like it was. His assistant picked it up for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's got that tennis windbreaker. We'll see it in a minute. Uh and this Cindy's night- pissed because she's oh. like, uh, you know, she's like thought it was a gift for her. Jumped to some conclusions there, and uh, he's like, "Oh, I'm in trouble." And it's, I don't know, just it just feels like there's some very unspoken strife here between the two of them. Well, Cindy feels lonely. I mean, she's clearly lonely. <laughs> like that, that's a big, that's all all this is. Right? She's she's stuck in this new world with yep. no one else to talk to. Yep. Yeah. What she's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet the Nitro owner as he comes back to confront Tiffany and Brenda, and his mullet is out of control. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's epic. That's award winning. That's mm-hmm. award winning mullet right there. That might be and best 90s at that point. I yeah, mean, so they basically talk their way out of it, right? And they get out of this thing now. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that had to happen. If the if there was any legal issues from that point of the episode on, it would have just gotten way too cumbersome. It was it was a good plot point to get them out of it because it's more about it was less about the act and more about the 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 post act aftermath so and it makes yeah it makes very clear that tiffany is not um stealing because she can't afford these items she more than can afford them she just uh is choosing to do because of the thrill of it you know and she's she has some um psychological problems Speaking of psychological problems, we get Jim and Sydney power walking, and Jim's in his light blue windbreaker <laughs> that he bought. Uh, quite the scene there. Uh-huh. Uh, then we also get Kelly on the phone with Brenda, and this is a another iconic moment. This is from the open, right, where she rolls over. Mm-hmm. She's on the phone yes. and rolls over on the bed. So yep. just kind of made note of that. That's on a side note, actually, before yeah. we get back to the power walking, I also noticed, talking about Minnesota, that less and less uh, we see ve- – we see a lot of it here in season one, but by the time when you guys get to season two, I think you're going to see less and less of their Minnesota-ness. Yeah. Like, for instance, Cindy's power walking with a Vikings t-shirt on. Like, right. that kind of stuff you don't see, you won't see as much over time. Like, the mm. Minnesota thing slowly, like, you know, like, Brandon names the car Mondale, and, like, you'll <laughs> you'll slowly see the, the, the Minnesota out of them little by little. As this as the show progresses, but this season, yeah, I'm curious one, to see too if it's like a natural evolution or if it feels forced. Yeah, because you know? it just kind of evolve. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So then we Brandon's in the kitchen uh, and he finds out basically all the guys working back there with him because that's where his job is. He thought he was gonna be a waiter, but he's really just a dishwasher and a bitch boy around the restaurant. And he finds out that all the guys who are are pretty much all minorities around him are getting treated like shit and paid like shit. So he's a bleeding heart, of course. We've picked that up already for him. Uh, and he wants to fight for these guys uh, that are working in the kitchen. So that'll play sort out. Of. <laughs> right. Sort of. Sort <laughs> of. He, um, I don't know, primarily sort of goes to bat for 
himself because he kind of like he makes a big scene like he he rage quits his job but uh on the way out pulls up a chair next to dylan so i don't know you, you sort of can't storm out well, it's and, a little bit later we're not there yet yeah okay very this good this is just him i think in the back in the kitchen mm-hmm. right yeah finding that his co-workers all right so cindy's pissed and she's taking her misery out on Brenda. And I thought, I feel like this is a real Larry David situation for Brenda. Um, she didn't really do anything wrong. She completely got positioned here, but everyone's kind of blaming her. And now mm. she's making it worse by getting so defensive about it and almost being like, fine, fuck you. I did do it because she wants to like, she's so mad that people are blaming her over it. Right. Um, and this is our first big Cindy Brenda blowout where they both are pissed about other things and they're taking it on each other, right? Like Cindy's clearly mad at herself and her life. Brenda's clearly jealous of everything going on. And now they're just like unloading on each other. Um, yeah, I, I thought that this argument between Brenda and Cindy was like way more emotional and better acted than it really had to be for the yeah, show. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's it's genuinely pretty good. Um, I mean, this is a very low stakes episode, but this is. I mean, I'll just go ahead and say I I, I had this down as a standout moment, probably best moment from the mm-hmm. episode. Just the, you know, this huge meltdown between um, mother and daughter here. And mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to see a whole lot. You're not going to see like Carol Potter get a whole lot to chew on. I feel like in this series, just as an actor, and and this was. Pretty solid stuff from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a feeling you'll see a lot of, uh, sadly, you'll see less Carol Potter and more James Eckhouse as the mm-hmm. s- as the season prog- as the show progresses. He gets more standout than she does. Like she'll have the episode with the boy with the ex boyfriend and all that. I know you guys will get there, but you definitely I, I agree with you hundred percent, Tim. That 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 Jim ends up being the standout parent, which sucks because. Cindy's kind of like the cushion that wants to kind of be, ah, you know, but right now, yeah, she's, she's got nothing. Everybody else has something, but her Jim's got Mm -hmm. the job. Brenda's got school. Brandon's got school and a job. And Cindy's just standing there in the kitchen holding the bag. She could go get a fucking job, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, that's too. I mean, that's a little part of this, right? Right. Right. All right. So, you know, and as this is going on too, I like Tiffany's, uh, we mentioned earlier, another good way to kind of create a heel outside of the main cast to add some adversaries. We're, we're trying not to make anyone in the main cast too much of a, of a bad person in this. Right. So they keep bringing in these outsiders to add that conflict in. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's kind of dropping theology here, kind of how things aren't what they seem when she's talking to Brenda at the pool. Uh, but it's clear she's just desperate for a friend, right? She's just desperate for someone who gives a shit uh, at, at any level, family or friend. Uh, she seems very, again, loneliness seems to be a theme in this one. Um, but she's really kind of uh, dishing it to Brenda here. This is funny because she's sitting around. She's well, I was just saying, Tim, she's sitting at this pool with all these fucking jacked up dudes just to sit around as Mm -hmm. as eye candy. And she literally does not care. She might as well be alone. I think that was great. I didn't I I was thinking about kicking that around as my as my best scene. Yep. like here's a girl who literally has everything pool. She's hot. She's got a great body. She's got all these fucking dudes sitting or standing around and she literally could be by herself and it would it, she could feel like she's totally alone even when technically she's not great scene great scene yeah i had that one too solid uh runner up for me just um yeah it, 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 and it almost looks like something out, out of one of those sort of 
dark 80s teen dramedies, not like a straight up slapstick comedy right. type. Yep. But maybe in one of the, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, and I can't right now, but it, it, it feels like, again, this is that we're on the cusp of the 90s, really, and this is one of those scenes that still feels a little bit more 80s to me. My so-called life. Um, <laughs> well, that'll be very 90s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. Gosh. I want to rewatch that someday, but <laughs> in any case, um, yeah, I, I really like this scene too. Just it, it had a lot going for us, and the the random dudes who are so like conspicuous, just laying there by the pool. That Brenda even has to ask, "Who are these guys?" <laughs> right, right, right. And Tiffany's like, "They're just dudes, <laughs> young boys." The pool. Yeah. All right, so this is the scene, Tim, that you mentioned earlier, which is a really good one too. Dylan's at the restaurant; he's kind of shitting on everything. Mm. Uh, he pisses off the boss, and that's when they find out that the crew's not even getting minimum wage. Brandon does, um, and then he blows out the boss. He says, I'm an investigative reporter, <laughs> which is great. Um, and he quits on the spot. He says, I'm, I'm going to expose your restaurant and and tell the world that you're paying, you know, you're not even paying these guys the minimum wage to work in your kitchen. You take advantage of the minorities that are working here, and I'm going to I'm gonna expose it. And then he sits down with Dylan, and they, they kind of start to eat, and they trash the boss some more and then walk off. Uh, this is a pretty good epi- pretty good part of the episode, too. I thought it was a great beeline, uh, uh, you know, that that uh, brand, you know, it's going to be Brandon's kind of causes, you know, one of the many causes he jumps on over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it establishes that Brandon is going to fight for what he believes in, regardless yeah. of the landscape. Like, we'll always know that Brandon's the one who doesn't let, well, except for the occasional moment, he doesn't let the fact that he's in this different environment affect him. He's still going to be Brandon Walsh, regardless of where he is. And I think this episode, you know, he could have just settled in and just let the minorities get made fun of or whatever and treat it like shit. And instead, he's going to be like, no, if this, if I was in some place in St. Paul, same thing. And I think that's how we look at Brandon over these first couple seasons before, you know, we see his kind of weaknesses or faults. But Brandon seems to be the do no wrong character of the early episodes. And uh, I mean, this can come off as probably a bit sanctimonious today, especially you think about like try to imagine this is a a real life 16 year old, like getting in the face of some, you know, fancy restaurant (laughs) over these improprieties. Like, I don't know. Um, But it is a very Brandon Walsh thing to do. He is as we're going to see, like, kind of a crusader. And uh, I, I almost feel like there could be another category, but I don't know exactly what to call it, like Brandon blow-ups or something, just the way that he, you know, is not afraid to really get in somebody's face um, over an, an issue that's important to him. Correct. I agree. All right, and then we get, um, I would argue, one of the biggest moments so far, Tim, since we've been doing the show. Dylan uh, says, I know a place um, mm. we can go and, and get some mm-hmm. good food. And he brings Brandon to the Peach Pit, the debut of the Peach Pit. And right on the spot, he meets the owner, Nat Basuccio. And Nat gives Brandon a job. He's kind of been reluctant to ever hire anyone. But he says, you know what? I can really use some help. You seem like a good guy. Dylan vouches for you. You're good with me. Uh, so a pretty big moment, Scott, with the uh, arrival of the Peach Pit and the debut of Nat. Yeah, adding Nat was huge because 
um, we obviously have a bunch of kids with flawed parents mm-hmm. of various degrees. We obviously yep. not not and and let me phrase well for the most part, Jim and Cindy aren't flawed. They're just preoccupied with fitting into life. But well, Dylan, the, the thing is, Jim can't be the father figure to everyone, right? Correct. No, he's got to be going. So now we need we need another one. Yeah, we need like an we need a a father figure that's that's been on the streets kind of thing. And Nat is that guy. And I think that this was an, a great addition to the cast. Joey Tata, great addition to the cast because it kind of gives them the street. Like, you know, Jim's going to give the fatherly advice. Nat's going to kind of give the street advice mm-hmm. that these kids may need when they're kind of shocked out of their, you know, cushy life. So great, great addition to the cast here. Huge, huge. Yeah. And he, he serves an important role, too, of just showing the viewers that maybe not all of the native adults of Los Angeles are like total pieces of shit. <laughs> like, exactly. you know, we, yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and that just, you know, that just kind of goes piggybacks on what you just said, Scott, which is the only real examples we've had of, of adults who are like decent role models are transplants in the form of the Walsh's um, because we, we haven't yet met all of the parents. And when we do, um, it's like not a very good scene uh, for as much as they lean on nope. these these one and done guest star type characters to do the whole absentee parent thing. There's enough characters just within our main cast who who have that issue. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that they they go to that well as much as they do with um, these one and done characters when you've got. Steve, whose mom kind of sucks and his dad's not in the picture. Dylan, with both his parents being gone. Um, Kelly's home life is a shit show, which, you know, we'll get to. David, we don't know that much about. I guess, I mean, kind of the best example is going to be Mel (laughs) Silver, Um, Mm. which is not saying a ton. So you kind of needed somebody who was more wholesome. Um, I mean, Mr. Martin, he's Mr. Martin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's true. That's true. Donna's dad. Donna's Um, dad's like, like maybe number two with the dad department behind Jim, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But her mom super sucks. So they kind of cancel each other out. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, that to, to your point that that is a, probably the best dad on the show other than Mm -hmm. Jim would be, you know, um, Dr. Martin. Right. Uh, but yeah, we, as far as like regulars, uh, you sort of needed that and, and that, so it's not like he's going to be in every episode, but he's I'd be curious be how many, show. maybe we should track him. How many is that? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. cause he will get added to the main credits eventually. Um, it, I mean, it takes a while, but eventually they just, instead of doing the also starring Joey Tata, they, they stick him in the opening credits. Um, so I don't know, maybe it is, it's, it, I mean, he's going to be one that you can't really do rankings for, right? Because it's not like he gets a lot of dynamic plot stuff. Right, right. I gotta be honest, I don't think he hits the opening credits till season... It's a while. Seven, maybe? Yeah. Eight? No, I don't think it's any earlier than seven, to be honest. It might be when Jim and Cindy aren't on as much anymore. Yeah, because so you got to figure they had they had shaved off some regulars. So yeah, I would say it's probably season seven. Yeah, I think it's a bit. So well, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. Uh, so kind of along these lines, Cindy gives Tiffany the little pep talk, some life lessons. It kind of sets that trope too of her being the team mom. 
to all these people that come through. So she gets a little mom time with Cindy and, and you know, fixes things. She basically mm-hmm. tells her the truth, right? Brenda didn't steal. I stole it. And the bag you found was mine. I, I hid it in the house. It wasn't her. Um, and then that leads to Brenda doing her, her paper, kind of tying everything together well uh, about Lady Miz and explains the needs to fit in, the desperation behind stealing and kind of uses her experience to, to nail the paper. And uh, both the Walsh children are genius writers, we should point out. Yes, at this so stage. Right. See that. <laughs> yes very show. early on. In different ways, different uh, right. avenues, but indeed, yes. Uh, all right, so then we get Jim with a big dad joke to close it out, uh, where Brenda talks about the hunger to fit in. He says, what about, I'm actually hungry. I want some food. Um, <laughs> that wraps us up. So I think all in all, like this was another pretty good episode. I thought it was a step back from the first two. Um, mm. It had good storytelling. The learnings are there. And we got a lot of stuff that will drive future action and story. Um, less of the supporting cast, which I thought hurt it. It was a lot more wall centric this week. So we, you know, very little Steve uh, and David, no Donna, which I guess is okay, but a lot less Kelly, like barely any Kelly, uh, you know, a little, little bit of Dylan in his overalls mm. <laughs> at the restaurant. Um, so again, I, I thought this one had some good scenes, like individual scenes we've made note of a few times, but I think all in all, it felt like it was just a, a notch behind what we've watched him so far. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, we, we talked about and we're sort of grateful, I think, that the pilot was not as Walsh centric mm-hmm. as we were we were thinking it would be going in. Um, but that being said, the show as a whole, I think, has been pretty Walsh centric where you kind of are alternating your your early episodes between a Brandon episode, a Brenda episode, a Brandon episode, a Brenda. So. I mean, Brenda's come up in the rotation, I, I figure, and that's fine. Um, I don't think this is weaker because it's a Brenda episode. I, I think it's just sort of working through those kinks of of the, you know, the early season, the first season sort of like show figuring it out type things. And, and this is, you know, like a lot of those first season episodes, um, very episodic, very mm-hmm. um, kind of gets out of here fast gives us some life lessons and then moves on like <laughs> introduces some characters we'll never see again you know that whole thing mm. <laughs> but um we do get nat so that's pretty important um so it's not completely without merit but um i would agree it, a little bit weaker in comparison to what we've seen so far but you know only our third episode here um i mean fourth depending on how you're counting the pilot uh, we're still we're still kind of humming along, well, I think. And it, it makes to me it means this show's hanging in, right? Because we yeah. haven't seen like it hasn't bottomed out three in. Mm-mm. It's you know it's still chugging along. We're right around the same spot, so that's good. We're showing some consistency. Mm. Exactly. Yep. All right, let's do some awards, guys. We'll wrap things up here. Uh, so best scene of the episode for me was uh, the Brenda and Cindy blowout. Yep, I said same. Yeah, I, I originally had right before when Cindy threw the shade because you're not sure where that's going. You figured she would have. But when they're in the parking lot and and Brenda looks for Cindy's approval and Cindy goes, let's just go home. You're like, oh, shit, mm. which was a prelude to the fight, to the to the scene after you guys are talking about. So uh, those are my one twos, the yeah. shade throwing in the parking lot leading to the the argument. All right. Most important scenes. Uh, so I had two of them here. And this generally is a category meaning like. 
important to the future of the show, right? So like last episode was Dylan's debut. And so like, what are, what is going to set the road ahead for us? So I had two things. One is Jim bailing out Brenda. And then Brandon getting hired at the beach pit, obviously is a huge one. <clears throat> uh, I would, I would back both of those up. I had the exact same thing, which is, I mean, I phrase it as Jim getting a distressing phone call about Brenda. Um, you know, while he and Cindy are lounging in their murder den. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty pivotal, like foreshadowing. That's that's going to be a pattern for sure. And yeah, I mean, Brandon working out at the Peach Pit is obviously huge, too. So um, right there with you. Yeah, I had uh, I had Brandon and Tiffany actually getting caught because that's just a typical Brenda, like trying uh-huh. to fit in and ends up almost fucking herself mm. in the end. Yeah. And the debut of Nat. I mean, that's yeah. which is combo of which kind of goes. Right. It's the, the same thing. Same yeah. yeah same same lines. It, not only does it intro Nat, but the peach pit gets introed, which ends up becoming yeah. one of the most central buildings of the show. So that's huge, too. And it and, all right, most '90s. Uh, a lot of options, as always. I two of the second me are Jim's light blue windbreaker suit and uh, the Nitro <laughs> store owner's perm mullet. <laughs> I went with the perm mullet. I went with Tiffany, who at one point had mm-hmm. on. Uh, she had on the short, uh, the short uh, denim shorts and the black boots, um, which is very '90s. And the restaurant owner, with her Elaine outfit at first, and then looking like you know a certain other brunette character about four or five seasons from now. Uh, like, oh, hey, you're going to be in that? Okay. That was very – and, of course, uh, the amazing mullet from the store owner, from the Nitro owner. Yeah, I, I had the uh, the store owner, just that entire character written down as most <laughs> 90s. Just the yes. old – getting else. called – yeah, like you just got called out for shoplifting, and, you know, you're going to ex- explain yourself to this store owner who's like – you know, he's not the cops, but he's threatening to call the cops and he looks like that. And it's just <laughs> it's pretty funny. It felt very, very 90s. Yeah, I agree. All right. Most 90s moments. Uh, Cindy's wall phone disconnecting throughout throughout the episode. We didn't really mention that, but she kept trying to oh, make calls yeah. and it kept mm-hmm. disconnecting her. And Brandon going job hunting pretty much door to door. Those are very 90s. Yeah. And getting the, the job postings off of like a cork board. Yep. Yeah, school. that's what I had. I had Brandon looking for jobs on a bulletin board using a, a pad and paper. <laughs> yeah, very. Thank no you. Doubt. Yep. Very old school. Very old school. Um, all right. Uh, best hookup. I went with David and Tiffany with the uh, the porn porn shoe. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went with Steve and Tiffany with the waterbed line. Yeah, that I, don't know, I thought too. that was good. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll give it to uh, David and Tiffany. It's the closest thing we got to a hookup, right? <laughs> Other than the past that Steve <laughs> to, <laughs> but that's pretty good. I do give Steve the best quote. Uh, hey, Tiff, how's the waterbed? To me, mm-hmm. that was that was the quote of the episode. It was great. I have I have three. I have the Steve hot waterbed. I have Cindy with the Tiffany had shifty eyes, <laughs> and I had Tiffany saying, "You want to hang out and take the hot tub?" That's so. <laughs> This is an amazing line. Want to hang out and take the hot tub? It's it's so great. It's so uh, casual. (laughs) I'll hand it to Steve for for my favorite. He he got the line of the show. But um, I also had his honorable mention, the uh, Brandon's bitchy first boss, uh, telling him after she has um, offered him the job that he misunderstood and, and thought that he was getting blown off yet again. 
uh, saying, oh, you don't have to explain. I've been hearing it all day. She snaps back at him. Hey, babe, I know my <laughs> restaurant tour, right? So I was walking around for half the night saying, I know my restaurant tour, right? Babe. <laughs> my empty house. <laughs> also, Tiffany, with the, the aforementioned, oh, they're just dudes who use the premises. That's it. Just them. That's it. Mm-hmm. I want to hang out and use a hot tub. Love All right, final grade out of 10. Uh, for the first two episodes, I went five and a half on both. And like I mentioned, I felt like this was just a notch below, but still a very good episode. So I went five out of 10. I, I was right in the middle, Tim. Okay. Um, I think I'll go... Mm, is it cowardly to say four and a half out of 10? No, I think it's okay. Okay. Uh, I'm also going to give it five out of 10. I mean, it's very hard to shit on any of season one because it's mm. evident that they right. don't uh, they're they're trying to get their feet wet the writers the actors the you know even the the physical like the camera music like they're they're all trying to figure out what the hell they're doing so i i, I always give season 1 the benefit of the doubt even most of season 2 um but yeah 5 out of 10 i think is perfectly fine they use the simple teenage trope of shoplifting uh which kind of is an extension of the walsh family's adapting or maybe lack of adapting in Cindy's case to mm. Beverly Hills. You got Brandon who's like, I'm me. I'm going to act the way I am and, and, you know, raise my sword for the rights of others, even here when nobody gives a shit about anybody but themselves. And then you got Brenda who doesn't give a shit about anybody but herself <laughs> and gets caught for it. And then you got Jim who's just trying to fit in here fiscally and Cindy who's looking around going, where the hell is everybody? Um, so I think it's a great, I think it's a good Walsh episode, and frankly, I feel like most of season one is about the Walshes. No, for attacking. sure. That was what the show was definitely meant to be. Yeah, sure. until you realize this ensemble around them is pretty fucking good <laughs> and get better as time goes on. But I, real- think I, I, I agree with you, JR. I think five out of ten is a perfect grade. All right, and real quick, we missed one of the categories, best lesson learned. Uh, oh, yes. I, I kind of had shoplifting there for, for a minute. Like, yeah, but then I, I, I think. But I changed it to there's more than meets the eye. I think that was the end mm. end goal, right? Behind all this is kind of everything's not really what it seems at all times um, to, to take a minute and figure out what the truth is. Mm. I like that idea, too. But I did say don't shoplift. It seems pretty cut and dry. But I like but but I agree with you that you're looking the shoplifting is just a symbol of the over of the overarch arching uh, 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 thinking of. Don't judge a book by its cover that this girl's not some piece of trash who has no money. She's just bored out of her mind and is an example of what the children of Beverly Hills are probably like at this point. So I I, I agree with you. I think the shoplifting in a bubble is obviously a simple thing to say, but it's an example of the further uh, thinking that, boy, these kids are fucked up, (laughs) you know, so they're also kind of telling the parents to have more faith in their children, which is. An interesting lesson for a show like this in 1990, because uh, JT, as you said, Brenda didn't do anything wrong. She just got kind of wrapped up in this, um, hanging out with this girl who she just met, who she doesn't really know anything about, doesn't know that, you know, she's committed this potential felony. Mm-hmm. And um, and Cindy, like, is totally, has no, like, it's almost like Brenda has no credibility with with her mother because of the move and all these external factors. And I mean, she was innocent. So 
I also yes. think Tim uh, to 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 piggyback your point. It's also as if as if uh, Cindy is like disappointed, like oh well, Brenda, you feel like Brandon's yeah. still Brandon yeah. regardless of the of the uh, of the uh, atmosphere or the landscape. Jim's got to do what Jim's doing, but Brenda, it's almost like Cindy looks at her and goes, "Well, you've settled in quite nicely. You're already right. you're already change. a piece of fucking shit." You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I think that's. Cindy was hoping Brenda could kind of be her kindred well, spirit. And it's kind of Cindy projecting a bit because maybe yes. she wants to be that way. Maybe she mm-hmm. wants to be fitting in and included. Yeah. And instead she's kind of, um, so it know, works both ways. Yeah. Could work both yeah. ways. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Listen, um, our track is really, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. And also don't work for less than minimum wage or even yeah, I mean, well. hell these days. Don't work for minimum wage, you know, go yeah. on. Uh, all right. Real quick. Um, we had four songs, that were, of course, really pretty much cut out on the versions we're watching. Tim, do you want to quickly plug our favorite Instagram page, though? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, as always, uh, check out BH90210 Restored on Instagram, and uh, you'll find uh, this restoration project, dude, going through and taking the scenes from these episodes, all the episodes. I think he's through about mm, part of season five now. And uh, representing those with with the original uh, songs as they aired at the time. And uh, I don't know that any of these from this episode were in there. Um, And to tell you the truth, like I can't say I'm overly familiar with um, most of these songs we're going to list here. But um, for the most part, like the the big memorable ones are all going to be in there. And um, I mean, it's pretty much pretty much in order. So you, you would have to go down, scroll to the bottom of this, you know, Instagram account to get to the the early ones from these episodes. But um, it's it's a fun little like you'll find yourself kind of stopping and getting sucked into. <laughs> oh yeah, that. Oh, I want to mm. hear this again. Mm. So it's it's a fun little uh fun little diversion if you want to check that out. We are in no way affiliated with with that account, but just enjoy them. Good. Yeah, been a good resource and always like to give them a shout out. All right. So the four songs noted here uh, were Town Without Pity by Gene Pitney when Brandon's going job hunting. Dirty Cash, Money Talks, The Adventures of Stevie V. That's when they're shopping. Uh, MT by Zoppy, which is a cover version that's playing at Tiffany's house when Brenda visits. And Let the Good Times Roll by Louis Jordan and the Timfany Five when Dylan and Brandon go to the Peach Pit. Of course, we'll hear lots of 50s. Uh, mm-hmm. music at the peach pits uh, that'll be uh, mm-hmm. sadly not available to us throughout some of these uh, also let the good times roll infamously and beyond the mat when mcfoley's wobbling around uh, with his family <laughs> <on the floor. laughs> yes. all right so uh let's do our list real quick we have character um debuts so we had tiffany morgan we had uh the restaurant manager anna the housekeeper and nat basuccio and I guess mm-hmm. also the Nitro store owner we got to put in here yeah, as well. Anyone I missed? At least one of them will be continuing. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany wasn't bad. They should have kept her no, around. No, not at all. Yeah. The bad girl kind of thing. All right. Uh, we have relationships. I have Brandon and uh, Dylan continuing on. Mm-hmm. And Brandon and Nat start their kind of early days formatting their relationship. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I guess uh, Steve and David um, continuing their relationship this <laughs> pretty, way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we can put them on there too. Yeah, don't know that that's now if they're together without being yeah, forced. I think it's right. official. Yeah, I mean, are they really going to have a breakup? Not, not too much. 
No, yeah, they're, they're going to be a solid be, unit. I'd say they might be the most long-lasting couple on the I show. I think so, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, places and things, key debuts. We have Look Good Restaurant, the Nitro Store, and the Peach Pit. Anything I missed there? I think that covers it. Oh, that's all of them. Yeah, uh, the Walsh's Murder Den, of course. Yeah. yeah well, we already had the house, right? So yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. It's part of it. Um, all right, let's do our character rank. So what we do is we rank them. Uh, as the last episode was out of the top 11, it'll be top 12 now because we have to include Nat. And they get assigned points in reverse order. So the top person gets 11 points. Well, it'll be 12 now and all the way down to the bottom. We're going to do an aggregate scoring. So here's our total scores heading into... Well, actually, we'll save that. Okay, so uh, I guess here's our this episode. Yeah, here's our ranks. Oh, yeah, okay. let's do this episode. Okay, so then we'll do the overall. All right, so was it just for this episode, or was it? It's it's building, right? It's, yeah, we can we can do yeah, kind yeah. of yeah how we're feeling after this episode as well. All right, so I still have Brandon number one for me. That makes sense to me, Scott. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's you know he stands out. He does the right thing like he always does. Okay. So, yeah. all right, I have Dylan number two still. Hard to argue. I mean, I mean, he was in so little, and he was so great in that little screen time he had. Uh, I gotta go with Steve. Right, you get some, well, we we uh, I'll vote. So two two to one. We'll Damn go Dylan. I, 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 I won't argue with Dylan anyway. But yeah. Uh, so I have Brenda three. Any Scott? Obviously, I don't know where are you at. You have Steve above Brenda, obviously. But uh, no, I, I would. Yeah, but I I would have Brenda. Well. I guess I had Brenda at four because I I would have had Dylan at three. So All right. what do you have here, Tim? I, I mean, I thought yeah, Brenda this and is on improving. The, I was gonna say on the strength of this episode, you could maybe swap Brenda and Dylan for me, but I, I'm not really gonna fight. For, I don't think it's strong enough to really make a passionate <laughs> argument about. And this kind of follows with what we had um, last. Last episode too, we had Brendan, Brandon, D- Dylan, Brenda as our top three. Now that's where I deviate a little bit. I had Steve four previously, uh, but I actually I thought Cindy outworked him in this episode. I had Cindy. You know, four, uh, you know, I had I had Cindy very high in this episode also. Hmm. Um, I mean, for this, just this episode alone, she would she would have been like my number two. So, okay. yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Any serious qualms there, Scott? You're okay with Cindy? No, not at all. Nope, okay, absolutely. this is where I had Steve at five now. I mean, let's face it, she's not going to be up there for very long, so let's no. let her have it. Yeah. yeah. You good with Steve at five, Tim? Sure, yep. Okay. And yeah. then I had David still at six, working the camera. I got the nude video of <laughs> Tiffany, worked out well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I had Kelly, then Jim. Any any issue there? Did you guys have Jim of Kelly coming out of this one? I thought the, the creepy couch scene kind of turned me off. <laughs> <and> Jim, <laughs> as good as the 10K line was, <laughs> this one, uh, the couch was a little off-putting. I mean, well, Kelly, look, uh, Kelly's in an Kelly's iconically in the opening now with that mm-hmm. with the with the bed flip. Yeah. So, yeah, I would put Kelly above Jim in this one. Yeah, and and plus, I mean, Jim missed some episodes. This is really his the first episode where he gets any significant screen time since the pilot. And um, even still, I mean, it's kind of not all that much. It's more of a Cindy episode than a gym episode really as far as the elder walsh's so yeah i'm I'm not gonna i'm not gonna fight for that i'm not gonna fight for jim in this case 
All right. I kept Andre and Scott next, and then I put Nat above Donna in my Rex. <laughs> Donna last, though. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. Okay. I could see that. Sure. Boy, Andre right. is barely in this one, huh? I don't think she was at all. No, she um, walks. She is. She walks by oh, a that's right. students and then runs into Brandon while he's at the bulletin board. Right. Right. That's right. And that and that's pretty much it, I think. All right, so Brandon uh, com- continues to pile up his commanding lead. Um, so he is at now 33. All right, well, I do the math. Uh, Tim, you just want to kind of give a plug of where we can find you? Yeah, so um, you can find me on social media. I am at Psyche68, C-Y-K-E-6-8, on the Twitter. If you want to talk about uh, this show, I'd be more than happy to engage any time or place um, over 90210, one of my all-time fave shows from the 90s or any decade, really. Um, and, you know, I, I do a variety of podcasts as well across some of our other uh, sister feeds, but um, I think that'll do it for my purposes. Um, how's that math coming along? Still working. Scott, why don't you tell us where okay. we can find you? All right. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at PTB Podfather. Uh, you could follow uh, one of our other exceptional uh, podcast feeds, the PTB Wrestling Network, uh, on Twitter at PTBN Wrestling. And yeah, uh, and I'll engage. I'll talk about this show. To me, it's the my personal favorite show of the 90s. So I'll talk about and a top three all time. So I'll mm. talk about it anytime. Uh, Nat, Steve, Waterbeds, you know hot chicks yeah. on diving boards fine with me it's it's tough you know between this and um melrose place for me i i always have these these internal debates like mm. which show had the highest peak which had the lowest low like which was more consistent and i'm never really sure where i land but um i always have 90210 and melrose place neck and neck as far as the um the primetime network dramas go but uh great decade for television that's um high praise coming from you scott that this is your your favorite of the uh of the decade of of all time hell absolutely i can watch anytime any place here's our overall rankings after three episodes in last place 12th place is nat with two in 11th place donna martin with three points so donna after uh, three episodes barely had a gnat who just had his yeah. one appearance. Tenth place, Scott Scanlon with nine. In eighth place, I gave Jim Walsh a tiebreaker with nine over Scott. Yeah. Uh, then we have Andrea Zuckerman with 13 points, Kelly Taylor with 17 points, Cindy Walsh now uh, <laughs> in the top six with 19 points, Dylan at 21, and of course he wasn't even in the first episode, so he's getting right. saved quickly. Just one behind David Silver, who's at 22. Our top three, Steve Sanders now into third with 25 points. One point below Brenda Walsh at 26. And Brandon continues his dominance at 33 points. So we'll see if anyone ever catches him, if anyone has a shot. Uh, He is uh, running away early with the ranks here. So listen, hopefully everyone enjoyed this episode of 902 and no so spread the word if you're a 902 and fan. Also, if you're a fan and you like doing podcasts or want to try it, reach out to me on social media at JT, the pod guy, uh, or wherever you see this posted, just comment on it. And I can add you to the guest list because we are rotating, looking for anyone who's interested, anyone who's, who loves 90210. If you hate 90210, if you've never seen 90210 and you want to do the show, you are uh, welcome to be on. Just hit me up and we'll get you worked in. Uh, so for Scott, for Tim, I'm JT. We're out. A little din some, a little den some. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.
Let the good times roll. 